Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Brian, and welcome to Hours of Movies. Today, I'll be talking about Chunking Express, a movie released back in 1994. It is directed and written by Wong Kar Wai, a Hong Kong director, and this movie is great. It's fantastic. Um, I've never seen anything by Wong Kar Wai before this one, and this is a fantastic introduction to his stuff, man. This picture is wonderful. It is about these two melancholy cops that fall in love. One with a mysterious uh, woman that is in, I guess, the drug empire, the drug world. She has some business with them. And the other cop falls in love with a snack bar attendant. And she's very different from him. He's very clean cut and serious while she's a little bit wild and out there. It's two different stories in one movie. And it's woven in so well. The story of the first half is way different from the story of the second half, but it just blends in wonderfully. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about this film. First off, I just want to say that it's pretty perfect in my opinion. Uh, I'm not too big on like these romantic films, you know, romance, that category. I don't really care about it. I'll watch it every now and then if there's actors in it that I'm interested in or, you know, my girlfriend wants to watch it or someone really highly recommends it. They're like, no, you have to watch it. It's pretty damn good. So I wasn't really expecting too much, but fucking A, man, what a perfect film. I'll be honest, it got a 5 out of 5. I gave it a standing ovation. I stood up and started clapping. I immediately went to Lori and I told her, Hey man, have you ever just fallen in love with a movie? She gave me a weird look. She's like, I don't know, maybe. But that's how I felt about this. That's how I felt about this. It is wonderful. It is beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's a great film. I cannot praise it enough. I don't want to say it's underrated, but it is definitely underappreciated during these times. I mean, by these times, I just mean people around my age. I don't think I've ever met someone who has recommended this film, and everyone that I have told to watch this have not has not heard about it before. So I want to get it out there, you know. If you get the chance to watch this film, check it out. Um, it's on the Criterion channel. If you're subscribed to that, you can watch it on there. But if not, they have like a seven-day free day trial. This isn't even a- an advertisement. This is just me telling you to get it because, one, this movie is really good. But the Criterion channel has a, has a ton of beautiful movies on there. They got a wide variety of things. Some of them you probably would have you know, never heard of it, but just turn it on. It's a different take of films you know like a different it's very different from what you usually watch in theaters but that's just me rambling off if anyone knows anyone on the criterion channel tell them hey this guy gave you free advertisement maybe they'll give me a free month or something i love that shit it's beautiful get criterion channel if you ever get it hit me up on twitter i'll recommend you a couple flicks but this is just me rambling on again about criterion let's get back to the picture so yeah it is directed and written by Wong Kar Wai. he decided uh write this movie while he was taking a hiatus, a little break, while he was also editing a film that he just, you know, wrote and direct, directed, oh, 
called Ashes of Time. He, I guess during editing, it just became very overwhelming. It's supposed to be an epic. So obviously there's a lot of effort into epic films. And he was also editing it once it was over. Probably took it drained him a lot. So he wanted to do something a little bit different. He wanted to do something contemporary that or how he said, you know, something modern and fresh. So he decided to do Chunky Express. Um, the crazy thing is he literally wrote this movie while he was editing a movie he had already wrote. That's wild, man. When you think about it, like, where do you even find the time? And they're both, you know, pretty good films of his. So even that, like, wow, you really out here writing directing and editing two different movies and getting praise for both of them that's pretty dope man anyways but yeah he wanted to do something light and contemporary you know after all the heavy topics and ashes of times so he went out and did it and he didn't even finish writing chung king express he actually just wrote the first half and then i think during new year's they took a break from filming then started it back up and literally the day they were going to go back filming he finished writing the second half which is crazy. He also wrote a third half, but he felt that the movie already had a good balance between the two stories. So he's decided to save the third short for another movie. And he did. It's called Fallen Angels. I haven't seen it yet, but I definitely plan on getting around to it before the year is over. You know, I'll complete my trifecta of 90s film by him. Because I figured, hey, let me try to get to three movies by him. I've seen this one. I saw um happy together and you know i'm gonna try to see fallen angels see what's up with wong and let me tell you he's a magician with this damn camera and editing and, and you know he knows how to use his choreographers uh choreographers <laughs> no i'm kidding there is now i'm not even kidding my bad there is no dance number in this i mean uh cinematographers no choreographers this is not a musical this is definitely not it is cinematographer he definitely knows how to use them i think he uses uh two uh two of them in this and but i think he does yeah he has a man named andrew lau and another homie named christopher doyle andrew lau he shoots the first half of the story while christopher doyle shoots the second story so it gives you a different feel and it's definitely true the first story feels very well you know what before i jump into that I didn't even say the cast. So the for cast is Bridget Lynn. She is the woman in the blonde wig. She is one of the characters in the first half. She is pretty much a mysterious woman who works in the drug world, the drug empire business. You know, she's like someone in there. And we have Takishi Kanishiro. He is Cop 223. He's a man who is heartbroken and just drinking and eating pineapples. Uh, Takeshi Kanishiro's character, he pretty much has his heart broken by a woman named May a couple weeks or a week before May, May 1st. And the reason that's, that's so significant other than, uh, cop 223's girl X being May, you know, being called May is that his birthday is on May 1st. So it's like a double punch and the reason, you know, a, a double punch to the gut, you know, and the reason... Kanishiro's character is so obsessed with pineapples is because it was her favorite food, but it also expires May 1st. 
So he's just really hung up on this whole May 1st ordeal, May everything. And I mean, why not? Uh, If you've been heartbroken, you do some dumb things. I don't know if that's true, but from what my friends say or from my friends done, yeah, you don't think too clearly when you're heartbroken. You hold on to any kind of hope. And I guess that's what Homie does. That's what Cop 223 does. He's the kind of dude that's holding on to the hope that, hey, maybe May will come back on May after I eat all these pineapples. He even eats about 30 cans of pineapples. It's real wild. But yeah, so he, they're both the characters in the first half. In the second half, we have Tony Luong Chi Y. I hope I said that right. I probably didn't. I'll fix it later. He plays Cop 663. And Faye Wong as Faye. Then we also have Valerie Chow as the flight attendant who breaks up with Cop 663. So they're the three sort of main characters, except for Valerie Chow. She's in it for a bit. But Tony and Faye are the two main duo in the second half of the story. So it's two different love stories. Tony is also going through a breakup. Valerie Chow, the flight attendant, she dumps him, leaves him, doesn't really give him too much of a warning. And he starts falling for Faye Wong. She plays a character who's very wild. She dresses differently than most people. He, She seems, you know, not uptight like our guy Tony, Cop 663. Everything about him seems very cop-like. You know, he just goes, he just seems like he goes by the books kind of guy. So it's two different stories, two different types of people but falling for each other i think that's the beautiful thing in it bridget lynn as the woman in the blonde wig she gets set up you know um she pretty much has her boyfriend in this ordeal i guess he is this american man that has taken advantage of her has made her fall in love with him and he uses her to smuggle drugs and smuggle money we see her giving people money so they could dress with it or hide it in things and just run off and smuggle it to wherever they need to take it. So we know that's her kind of biz, that she is a bit shady, someone that shouldn't be talking to a cop. And Takeshi, we never really see him as a cop. There's only one scene where he's a cop, but he's narrating the whole time. So at some point he goes, oh yeah, at one point I did this. I was on duty. But that's it. Let's go back to me being heartbroken. Uh, he narrates the whole story, uh, the story, the first half at least. And he has a soothing voice. He speaks four different languages throughout this whole film at some point. Uh, I guess he speaks mainly, you know, Cantonese. Then he speaks Mandarin. Then he says a couple words in Japanese. And he says one word in English. Technically, four languages, right? But pretty damn impressive of him. But he... It's just really lovely to look at, lovely to hear. He plays that sad, lonely, drunk dude so well that you feel bad for him. And Bridget Lynn as well. She plays someone that you would sort of stay away from because she seems like someone that wants her privacy. So it's, you know, makes sense that they'll both bump into each other. So Bridget Lynn, her character, it gets sort of set up. We're not really sure what happens, but they try to kill her. Luckily, she kills them first and she goes off. You know, she goes off running and hiding for a bit. She can't be out in the open. They just try to kill her. Who knows what else or who else they'll send. 
And Takeshi, he's out. He's out drinking. One night, he's really sad about the whole thing. It's April 30th, the day before May 1st. He has gone to the same market to get pineapples that expire, you know, May 1st. He's gone through 30 cans of them, and he wants more. So he goes up to the clerk, and he's like, yo, man, give me some pineapples that expire May 1st. I know you had some. I saw them just last week. There was a ton of them. The clerk's like, I can't sell you that, man. I threw it away. Can't be selling that sell stuff. You know, Takeshi gets a little upset, goes off, and he continues drinking at some point. His stomach is hurting from the 30 cans he has eaten, and he decides to go to a bar because he's like, drinking will just help it go away because obviously when you're drunk and your stomach hurts you either think i gotta eat or i gotta drink and he's like i'm a drink so he goes into a bar and he starts drinking away i love the way everything's shot in this they don't really show you the whole bar they just show you wherever the characters are sitting so where takeshi is sitting that's all that's focused on you know you just see a little bit above him and a little bit around him but he's the main focus he takes up 80% of the screen. It's very intimate. That's how the first half feels. It feels very intimate. When you're around Bridget, sort of feels like you're a child around her. The camera's sometimes pretty low, just below her. She seems like a small woman, so it feels like being like a teenager child in the crossfire while with Takeshi, it just feels more like a friend that you're seeing go through a heartbreak. I mean, we've all probably seen that. So it feels very relatable. This whole first half feels like a dream-like sequence, but it also feels like a real dream or, you know, just a daydream, something that seems realistic. So back to Takeshi. He's in there drinking, chilling, and in walks Bridget Lynn's character. She needs to stay low. The night's pretty young. She can't be out there for too long because people trying to cap her. She sits down and cop 223, he's just like, man, I'm drunk. She seems pretty cool. I'm going to go bug her because, of course, why not? So he gets up and he walks on over to her and he starts talking to her, but she doesn't seem to mind. She sort of is ignoring him, just not giving him the time of day, but as well, staring at him every now and then. And at some point, he buys her a drink. She drinks it. And they just continue drinking. He usually, he mainly talks. She doesn't say much. At some point, she starts leaning on him and he starts leaning on her. They're both pretty plastered, pretty tired. It's probably a little bit past midnight. He suggests or she suggests that we should just get a hotel room. But nothing ever feels too sexual about that. You know, once they enter the hotel room, there is no, you know, um, there's no clue or anything that it's going to show that. It's going to lead to anything. She she lays on the bed, knocks out immediately, and he's pretty cool about it. He just sort of sits there. Then he just turns on the TV and starts watching films. And you remember when I said earlier, when your stomach hurts, you either want to drink or you want to eat? Well, it's eating time because homie picks up the phone, calls room service, and he just orders burgers, salad, and fries. And he just gobbles the night away. He just watches movies like old school 1930 1940s black and white pictures and he eats and he just narrates and he talks about you know his heartbreak and he talks how it's already may 1st and he is no longer thinking about his ex he isn't you know moved on but he is for the first time in a while 
focused on other things, focused on himself and just venting, having a friend at least, having the woman in the blonde wig there for him to sort of let everything out and just think clearly for once was helpful. At some point, he just gets up, brushes his teeth. I mean, homie chowed down on a bunch of meals, a bunch of pineapple, a lot of beer, got to brush them teeth. And before he leaves, you know, the sun's coming up, he decides to clean um, Bridget Lynn's character shoes. He remembers that his father would say that a woman should never walk out around in dirty shoes. So he cleans it with his tie, puts it next to her bed, and he walks out leaving. As soon as he walks out, Bridget Lynn's character immediately rises up. Was she asleep the whole time? Probably, but she was sort of aware of everything at the same time. Maybe that's what she needed as well. Maybe she just needed uh, not protection, but just another person knowing she's safe. You know, cop. 223 has no connection at all to her, you know, ties in the drug business. And maybe that's what she needs, just someone that would make her feel safe for the night, you know, someone to get through the night with because everything was is uncertain for her, you know. We don't know what she did or not even if she did anything, but we don't know how far her boyfriend's going to, you know, get her killed. And the next thing we see is Takeshi's character. He's running around in the rain. It's May 1st. It's a little bit like, I think it's supposed to be 8 a.m. He's just running. I mean, he probably feels a lot of emotions. He looks angry. He looks like he wants to cry. And at some point, his pager goes off. He gets a little bit excited. He runs on over, checks it out, and he sees that he has a message. He gets pretty excited. Who can it be? I mean, he we all know what he's thinking. He's probably thinking it's May. May message him to say happy birthday at least. So he calls, and as soon as he hears the message, it's not May. Instead of May, it's Bridget Lynn. She left him a message. I guess she remembered one conversation of him saying that my birthday is tomorrow or today, and she decided to leave a message. She said happy birthday from your friend in hotel room, whatever. And he was pretty happy about it. He seemed like yeah this is great he think the last thing he said was um i hope memories don't have an expiration date and if they do i hope this one lasts ten thousand years i don't know if that's a quote from someone but when i first saw this movie like i was so hypnotized by this flick that man it just made me feel so wholesome and happy for him you know i just felt great uh for takeshi i felt great for cop 223 he is finally going to move on. He's finally going to feel something, you know, get past May. It's going to be June at some point, right? But then we also wonder, what's up with Bridget Lynn's character? Woman in a blonde wig. I sort of wish there was like a whole side flick for her, you know, just what's up with her. I'm really intrigued by her character. We'll never get the answers. But the next thing we see is that there's another woman. And there's this American man who we're assuming is Bridget Lynn's character, uh, Bridget Lynn's um, boyfriend or husband or whatever, you know, sugar daddy, whatever you be. But he's putting on a blonde wig on another woman. And I guess this is his new Bridget Lynn. This is his new pawn in his whatever, you know, little game that he has set up. She just goes out, the new Bridget, you know, she's out dancing. And at some point, um, Bridget Lynn's character. Uh, boyfriend he walks out to feed the cats 
woman in the blonde wig, the OG, Bridget Lynn, just pops out and shoots him, caps him, kills him. I mean, he set her up and, you know, she had to get her revenge, kills him. She dips on out and leaves. That's the last we ever see of Bridget Lynn's character. And it sucks. I mean, I really want to know more about her. She seems really interesting. I hope she has like a little cameo in Fallen Angels. That'd be pretty cool. Because uh, if you rewatch this movie, and I think I've only done it one time, but you can see some of the characters from the second half of the story in the first half. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to look at. Anyways, um, so that's the, we, the last we see of her. And the last we see of Cop 223 is that he's on duty. He's at a snack bar where the second half of the story mainly takes place. He's talking to the owner, and the owner tells him, Hey, man, uh, my cousin just got hired. She's single. I don't know, man. I know you're hung up on that maid chick, but my cousin's single. If you need someone, you can ask her out. He says, I don't know. I'll think about it. He bumps into Faye, Faye being the cousin. And he says, this is the closest I ever got to this new woman. And that's the closest it'll be. Because six hours later, she would fall in love with another man. Then the first half ends. The second half starts. And California Dreamin's playing. And once California Dreamin' started playing, I just thought to myself, holy fucking shit, man. Did this movie just get way better? Because if it just got way better, hell yeah. This movie has some great music choices. I forgot to mention, the first half had a lot of smooth jazz. It felt very neo-noir. The jazz mixed with the way it was shot. It just felt like a detective film, a detective that had a broken heart. You know, maybe that's what it was. Um, Wong calls this a road film, and that's what it really does feel like, a road film. This movie feels like a slice of life. But that's just the first half. The second half is a little bit different. The first half feels like a crime thriller, you know. Um, But the second half just feels like a romantic comedy. It's so different and so wild. And I think that's what made me really like this movie. I don't know. I hadn't even gone to the second half because the second half has some fantastic acting and some great music choices. I mean, California Dream and play six times. It should be overused, but it's just used in the perfect amount of time. The perfect amount of time. There we go. And yeah, um, I love this movie. Like I said, I'm, I'm praise it a lot. It's wonderful. I really like it. I highly recommend it. I'm not even done with this podcast. I just need to do a second half intermission of check this film out, yo. But yeah, so that was the first half. Takeshi Kaneshiro is wonderful. Like I said, he has great voice for narrating this shit. And Bridget Lynn, she plays that mysterious badass woman so well. Also, um, according to some film critic in China, she said that Bridget Lin was filming a movie at the same time as this one, but the first movie that she would film was a period piece, so she would have a lot of makeup, and her hair would be done a certain way, and when she would show up, Wong was like, yo, you know, I'm trying to do this quickly, so instead of doing makeup and everything on you, let's just do this, and that's how the blonde wig, trench coat, and oversized sunglasses was born for a woman in the blonde wig. That's her main outfit throughout this whole thing and it's dope i mean it gives her a character like i said i want to know about woman in the blonde wig and then takishi kanishiro was just wonderful in this as i said he is great and andrew lau he shot the movie so well it feels like you're there with 
um, COP223, you feel like you're sort of relating to the whole thing and going through the heartbreak process with him. A beautiful, beautiful first half to this wonderful introduction oh, to Wong Kar Wai. Now, the second half of the story, we have COP663 and Faye. You know, one of my favorite things about... um. Well, not one of my favorite things. One of my favorite, like, little things that some movies has is if they don't give a character a name, you know, it's either a description or just a title. I've always enjoy that in films. Whenever the credits roll, you're like, what was that person's name? Did they ever say the name? And they just don't. It's just whatever. I really dig it. Like, in Reservoir Dogs, the guy who said, like, told the robbers at the diner, like, whatever line he said, that's his credit roll. It's the actor's name as whatever he said. It's cool stuff. Anyways, so yeah, Cop 663 and then Faye. These are two different duels as well, just as much as Woman in Blonde Wig on Cop 223 was. Cop 663 is someone that's also pretty on the, um, you know, he's going through a heartbreak. He's going through a heartbreak with a flight attendant. And instead of being really, you know, wallow and depressed about the whole thing, he sort of just brushes it off. He puts on a front. He seems like he's tough, but he's hurting deep down. He really is. He also narrates this like film. So this second half, he narrates it. So you know he's actually bummed out. He misses his ex, but he tries not to think about it too much. And Faye, she's the cousin's, uh, she's the cousin of the owner of the shop. So he gives her the job saying, yeah, I mean, come on, it's a snack bar. It can't be too hard. You need a job. I got you. So her and Cop 663, they end up meeting. She's um, working one night when he's on parole, not parole, on patrol. <laughs> when he's out there and about, you know, just standing around doing nothing because it's easy money. And she's there dancing to Mama's and Papa's California Dream. And like I said, that's how the second half sort of starts. He walks on in there and he just starts talking to her order. He orders a little something and he's sort of captivated by the way she's just dancing, not caring, sort of carefree, actually. And she's wild. I mean, she looks different from most. She has really short hair. She has these tiny, but it's the right size for her face sunglasses. And she just seems, you know, free spirited, unlike him, you know, someone who seems very grounded, someone that just doesn't seem to want to have fun all the time, but he's digging it. He's digging her. They talk for a bit and then he leaves. She's sort of digging him as well. She's like, huh, you know, he's not too bad looking. Even her cousin is like, hey, man, I see you both talking. So, yeah, one day, uh, Cop 663's ex, the flight attendant, shows up looking for him, but it's his day off. She goes up to Faye asking if she's seen Cop 663 or when he'll be around, and she informs him that today's his day off. He doesn't work today, and he's not going to be around. And Faye walks away. She knows a little bit about it, you know? Um, Cop 663 has explained uh, an ex and that she's a flight attendant, so Faye knew. And she had that jealousy where she had to walk away. Didn't want to continue talking to her. She's like, nah, 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 nah. You broke my future boo's heart. Don't even talk to me, man. Walks away. The flight attendant starts talking to the owner. The owner's like, yeah, you know, I'll hold on to whatever you want me to give because that's what the flight attendant was trying to do, give him a letter. 
The owner takes it and he goes, yeah, I'll give it to him. No problem. She leaves and we don't see her again. That's the end. We see a Valerie Chow, the flight attendant, uh, until we have a flashback of her. And I'll talk about that flashback later. It's fucking wonderful. Anyways, so, you know, Faye Wong, she continues throughout the day like nothing happened. The next day, Cop 663 shows up and she's like, hey, your ex showed by, you know, stopped by. She had this letter. Here you go. You want it? And he's like, nah, I don't. Because I feel like Tony... He, that's his way of accepting that it's over. He knows what's inside the letter. He knows that whatever is in there is the final statement of their relationship. The proof in the pudding that it's over, that is done, that is finito, that he and her are no longer one. And I don't think he wants to come to that realization. He just wants to work, go home, and work. And focus on nothing else. Maybe stay at the snack bar a little bit. He does spend a lot of time at the snack bar, so that's actually... Work, snack bar, work, home. So that's his daily thing. And he's like, you know what? Keep the letter for now. I'll pick it up later. I'll pick it up another day. She's like, you sure, man? Like, it's just the letter. And he's like, nah, keep it, Faye. It's all good. And she's like, all right, whatever, weirdo. The funny thing is, what does Faye do? She opens the letter. She has, you know, one of those teapots. The steam opens up the letter. And she takes it out. It's a letter containing pretty much her good, the flight attendant's goodbye, but also contains Cop 663's apartment keys. And you could just instantly see Faye just have a bright idea, a crazy idea, a wonderfully crazy idea. One day she follows Cop 663 to wherever he's at and finds out where he lives. So one night, or not one night, one day she's off doing some errands while following him and sees that he's just chilling. He's on his break, I guess, from duty. She goes up to him and goes, hey, so are you just going to be out here? And he's like, yeah, I'm on break and I won't go home until later. She's like, all right, cool. She starts going to his house and it becomes a daily routine for Faye. She just starts heading on over almost every day. Sometimes she'll tell her cousin, the owner of the snack bar, hey, I got to go do this and that. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be able to be at work for this amount of time. He's like, come on. At some point, he even starts saying, all right, can if you're going, can you at least bring vegetables for the restaurant or the snack bar? Can you at least pay the water bill? Can you at least pay the electric bill? She's like, shit, yeah, you got it on trip. I'll be on, you know, I'll do that on my way back. And she just stays there. What she does in his apartment is, I guess, she just decides to rearrange things and clean his apartment a bit and give him new items to replace his old ones. It's sort of her way to make him forget about the flight attendant, forget about what he had with her and move on. And I guess she's sort of hoping that he doesn't notice the little things. She gets some new fishes at some point. She even gives him a new stuffed animal to replace another. And they're both completely different. One is a goddamn white bear, and then she buys him Garfield to replace it. But the cop, he sort of doesn't feel to like weirded out by it. Cop 663, we when we see him in his apartment alone, he sort of accepts these changes of it as if it's he's done it. He even narrates saying that he believes. He's going crazy, but he also thinks that since the weather is changing, that everything else around him is changing. Everything tastes different because Fei Wong even goes to the extent of replacing his 
uh, tuna sticker cans with some new ones to make it seem like he's eating a different brand just to like, I guess, mess with him. I don't know, man. Like she just goes to this crazy um, point where it's like, all right, at some point you got to chill. I mean, you might as well just tell him, hey, so I really went overboard with this because she really did at some point. She sort of fucks up, and as she's buying him, I guess, fish, she left the water running after she was cleaning the tank, and his apartment floor flooded. Cop 663 said he had this gut feeling that the flight attendant arrived to the apartment that she's there, and you see him hauling ass back to his home, but when he opens the door, he just finds the floor all wet, everything's all flooded. Fun fact. I guess they didn't tell the apartment owners down there, the apartment people that live in the complexes on the second and first floor that they're filming a movie or that they were going to flood everything because they got very upset. All their shit got soaked in water and the production studio and Wong in general got sued, which sucks. And I also believe the cinematographer, uh, one of the cinematographers that worked on this film, he had to move out because that was his apartment. Christopher Doyle, that was his apartment while he was living in Hong Kong. And I think he had to move out or pay like everyone something. But yeah, so that's a, so yeah, when he gets to that apartment and he sees everything wet, he just starts losing my like, the fuck did I, did I leave the water on? Did I leave the faucet going? Did I, what, what happened? Like what, why, why is this going on? And at some point, he opens the door to just leave the apartment. He cleaned everything. And guess who shows up? Motherfucking Faye. And she starts freaking out. And he starts looking at her. He starts putting the pieces together. He knows now. He finally understands. Oh, all these changes are you. But how? Wait. And then he starts. He probably thought about the envelope. I mean, he's a cop. He seems like a dude that takes his detective work seriously. So probably I'll put all the pieces, but he wasn't mad. He didn't even lose his shit. He actually invites her in. He just goes, well, come in. I guess you're around the block buying goldfish and you just happen to stop by my apartment door in my apartment building. But yeah, come on in. It's all good. She's a little freaked out. He's telling her to relax. Don't worry about it. And he starts massaging her feet because he would remember that his dad would massage you know his mom's feet so oh i wonder what's up with the you know massaging and cleaning the shoes thing with the feet i'm just thinking about that right now what's up with that anyways so he massages his feet they take a nap but when he wakes up she's gone he doesn't think much about it he doesn't even narrate and say much to us the audience about what he thinks about all that instead he just lets it be as if it's something normal which whatever for him a different pace is good than the same one he's been doing for the past you know how many days through his heartbreak now at some point Faye is at the apartment and he finds her and you know he's like yo what are you doing inside my apartment he's like you told me to come over and she gets pretty panicky and runs out, leaves, and he's like, nah, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go see her. So at the restaurant or the snack bar, he stops by the cop and he tells the owner, like, hey, can you go get your cousin? I need to talk to her. And Faye comes out, she's all nervous, all freaked out. And he's like, hey, I came for that letter of mine. And he goes, she says, oh, well, couldn't my cousin get it for you? 
cop says, nah, he says that you've been carrying it around for some reason. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Gives him the letter, and cop 663, being smooth as fuck, goes, so I want to go on a date with you. There's a restaurant called California across the street, and I want to take you up. Let's go tonight if you're with it. And she's like, nah, like, no, nah, I don't like you like that. And he's like, are you sure? And she's on point. She's like, all right, yeah, let's do it. So they both agree on it. And it cuts to, you know, later that night. Now, once Cop 663 arrives at the restaurant in California, he gets there a bit early. He feels like there's going to be, as he says, a rain delay that Faye would either be late, so might as well show up early and enjoy himself a bit. At some point, Faye doesn't show up. He's sort of wondering now, is it's not a flight delay. It's probably, you know, a flight cancellation. He's he's very he wants to be on point with this whole airline thing. Made me laugh, you know, when I first saw it, that he called it a flight delay and then a flight cancellation. But anyways, he's there. He's sort of drinking. He's coming to the realization and he's understanding. Yeah, nah, she ain't showing up. Whatever, it's cool. Luckily, Faye's cousin, you know, his snack bar is right across the street from the restaurant. So he walks on over looking for Cop Six Six Three, and he goes, "Hey, man." Uh, she left, like, she left, left, dip, went away, quit, and said she was leaving. Uh, but she left you this letter. And we all know how Cop 663 feels about letters. Did he open it? Hell, fuck it, no. He just put it in his pocket. He thanked the cousin, saying, all right, man, thanks for looking out for me. And the cousin tells, you know, the restaurant owner, Snack bar owner goes, hey, man, don't feel too hung up on it. She's crazy like that. That's who she is. She's always been like that. Sorry I had to get through, you know, go through it, but it is what it is, man. Chin up, buttercup. My cousin leaves. We never see him again. And Cop 663, he continues drinking, and he starts leaving. When he leaves, um, he goes into a little... I guess 7-Eleven type dealio decides to grab a drink for the road. And as he walks out, he throws the letter in the trash. He says, fuck it. I don't need to read the letter. I don't like letters. But the next thing you know, bam, it's raining. And guess who's coming back? Cop 663. Guess what he reaches for? The damn letter. He goes back inside that 7-Eleven type thing, opens the letter. But it's uh, wrinkly. He can't really read it. All he knows is this is makeshift boarding pass to a certain destination but he can't read it it's all smudged he throws it in where they cook hot dogs or you know keep them warm for he could at least try to get the best of what it says but he can't he never read it he just puts the paper in his pocket and walks out now the next thing we see is Faye. she's now narrating a bit saying how one year ago the weather it was raining and she just couldn't get herself to go to the restaurant in California that she would rather go to the real California that she should just leave that's what she wants to do she wants to travel so she gets on on up and leaves she dips she knows she leaves cop 663 hanging she's gonna leave him a little bit heartbroken even more so than what he already is he's already going through one and here he is falling for her and she's gonna leave him like that and he dips I mean she dips 
She goes on to California. Once we see her again, though, she's wearing a flight attendant outfit. She's going down where her cousin's shop used to be. First, she stops by the California restaurant bar because, hey, that's where she was supposed to be one year ago. Then she walks on over to her cousin's shop, but it's no longer there. She just sees that it's being remodeled. She opens the door because she hears a familiar song, the one we all been hearing throughout the whole film, California Dreamin'. She gets a little excited. She opens it up, and she sees Tony. You know, She sees Cop 663, but he's more shocked than she is. He's actually stunned. He doesn't say a word. She's just talking, and he's like, hey, man, like, are you going to say anything? She's telling him, like, bro, it's me. Yeah. He's like, is it really you? And she's like, yeah, who else can it be? And he's just like all excited, you know, and he just starts talking to her and she apologizes. He said, it's all okay, but he shows her the letter. He goes, so where were you going to take me? She smiles a bit. She gets a new napkin. She starts drawing a fake boarding pass and she asks him, well, where would you like to go? And he says, wherever you'll take me. The movie starts slowly drifting into a boombox, and then uh, Faye Wong's cover of The Cranberry's Dream starts playing, and the movie's over. And once that movie was over, all I could think about was, fucking hell, man. What a wonderful film. Like I said, man, it's fucking fantastic. I know I made it sound so simple, but... It's gorgeous, yo. This second half with the music just felt so great. There's a scene where Tony is having a flashback with the flight attendant. I guess it's in his apartment. They're both just hanging out a couple hours before she has to leave for work. And the song they use, What a Difference a Day Made by Dina Washington is played while this whole um, scene is going Man, it's fucking gorgeous. If you've never heard the song, What a Difference a Day Made, you gotta check it out. That song is just chill-tastic. And I don't mean it like a chill song that you could just put on a chill. Well, yeah, it is that. But whenever I hear it, I always get the mad chills. I don't know what it is about that song, but it's so wonderful. And throughout this whole scene, I just felt like this high, this movie high about the whole thing. It is wonderfully done and then the same thing with uh Faye Wong's Cranberries and then uh California Dreamin' and all the saxophone the horns they use for the first half of the film to make it feel like a jazzy neo-noir crime thriller well this second half felt like more like a pop uh comedy romantic comedy type dealio two different types of films you know it's beautiful it meshes in so well and it's was all created in 23 days, 28 days, something like that. In such a small amount of time, Wong Kar Wai gave us a beautiful fucking movie. But that's just me, you know. I think it's fantastic, man. And if y'all ever see it, let me know. It, It just feels so pure and innocent, yet so raw. It's just goddamn gorgeous. And like I said, the two cinematographers, Christopher Doyle and Andrew Lau, they did wonderful in this whole thing. They just gave it two different identities by making it feel like one for Wong. Wong edited it so well, and what a talented man that guy is. I mean, incredible. What an introduction to his stuff. What an introduction, indeed. I love you, Wong, even though I hardly know you.
But yeah, so that is Chunky Express. Uh, I feel like you guys should definitely check it out. I'm not big on romantic films, but yeah, this just stuck on me. I'm going to see it several more times, that is for sure. And I've listened to the songs that they use in this movie. I mean, they got a good amount of variety in this. Yeah, like Faye Wong, she covers the Cranberries' dreams. She also covers another song called Bluebeard by the Tour Twins. I feel like I'm saying that right. Like I said, we also have the Mamas and Papas California Dreamin'. We got Things in Life by Dennis Brown. And then What a Difference a Day Makes uh, by Dina Washington. And Baraco by Michael Gasla- Galasso. Wonderful, wonderful songs. And it just enhances this film even more. So, you know, I love music. And music and movies is a good blend. I mean, I think that's why I like like musicals as well. Like, or I just enjoy them. You get two in one, no matter how ridiculous it is. But then sometimes you get those directors that love music as well and just thrive in enhancing a scene much more with the use of song. And that is wonderfully done. So good job, Wong. Uh, I don't know. Let's, let's, let's do some trivia. You know, I got some facts to say. Quentin Tarantino, he's a big reason why a lot of Western audience people saw this, you know, us in America and such. He made a deal with Merrimax, you know, producing a lot of films. So he used some of that power to get the rights for this movie to release it here and give it, you know, good watch for a good amount of people. And he's like, yo, people need to see this. So thank you, Quentin, for uh, you know letting us see this film. It is beautiful. And yeah, a wider audience definitely needed to see it. Um, this film was actually shot in 23 days. Yep, 23 days. See, I was right the first time. And yeah, the filmmakers, they were sued by the apartment goers, you know, because of that whole thing. Well, actually went through a good amount of my facts i usually you know i have a hard time going through them and going through my whole process but this time i actually like snuck them all in there well good job me hey guys you guys just heard me giving myself a high five yeah so hey yeah that is chunking express by Wong car Wai, a beautiful fucking movie that y'all should get to and if you do let me know what you think because i really need to find someone to talk about this movie with uh, and see if they enjoyed it, or if not, you know, I want to see someone to be like, I fucking hated it, and I'd be like, yo, man, your opinion sucks, I'm just kidding, their opinion doesn't suck, it is what it is, man, but you should definitely check out Wong Kar Wai's other movies, I've seen three of them so far, and if there's one thing that they're all really good at, is that they're good at looking pretty, and I love movies that look pretty, just like I love all you listeners, thanks for listening to Chunky Express episode. Thanks for listening to Hours of Movies. My name is Brian. You can always hit me up on Twitter at Hours of Movies. Tell your friends about me or not. Share me on Twitter or not. Share me on Instagram or not. You know, you can always find me on Spotify, Google Music, or wherever, you know, hit Buzzsprout. You could just go in there and I'll give you all the links to where I'm at. But yeah, I hope you have a good one. I hope you guys have a good day, a good night, a good evening, or a good whatever it be. I just hope you have a good one and I'll catch y'all next time. Peace out.